season one of Written in Stone, the 1990s is supported by Tension Climbing, wooden training tools designed with purpose in Denver, Colorado. Use the code STONE, that's S-T-O-N-E, to get 10% off of your next purchase at tensionclimbing.com and to let them know that their support for this show matters. Not valid for tension board sets, hardware, or gift cards. Cannot be combined with other offers. Tensionclimbing.com. Mastery over success. Some climbers seek out difficulty by looking first at the grade and then finding something of that grade that suits them the best and is going to be the easiest to get done. And to be clear, I don't think you should avoid the things that are easy in the grade or happen to suit you. Quite the opposite. By all means, go do them. But there's another type of climber. A climber who provides a great example of another approach. Climbers who seek out difficulty by searching for what's going to challenge them to reach deep inside themselves and find new levels. A root or a boulder that regardless of whatever grade is attached to it will demand more of them than any rock climb ever has. They look back at history to see what's been avoided to the point of being forgotten, simply out of the fear of working harder than the points given, and they make a beeline for that climb. No certainty of success, in fact, the certainty often leans more toward failure, but they just keep going. Not for the grade, for the challenge. For what the grades are supposed to, but don't always represent. Those climbers aren't here to game the system. They're here to see how good they can actually get. Jonathan Segrist is one of those climbers. And in April of 2023 in Catalonia, he found one of those roots. Stoking the fire had only been climbed five times in over 10 years by a who's who of hard climbing. Sharma, Ondra, Schubert. And there are other 9Bs he could certainly do faster, but that wasn't even the question. He wanted the challenge, and he was grateful to have it. And he got what he was looking for. Pushed further than he had ever been pushed, having to look deeper into whatever it was that drove him, he kept coming back. This drive took me to some dark places and also some truly inspiring ones, he wrote. Ultimately, it forced my surrender to an extent that I have not felt before. Surrender. It's an interesting choice of words. When something has so much power, so much weight, there's no amount of fight that's going to win. It's a fool's errand, really. Instead, we need to surrender to it, dance with it, recognize its power, and try not to overpower it, but to match it step for step. And this dance, it might be the most challenging part of all. And so, on the final attempt of the final day of the trip, when he'd found the right gear, the right effort, the right surrender, his dance finally matched what was required to become the sixth person to send one of the world's hardest nine Bs. Jonathan Segrist was no longer just challenging himself. He was challenging us all to look deeper. He was stoking the fire. Jonathan, welcome to Written in Stone, man. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks for that 
awesome introduction. It's nice to relive some of those moments and uh, think about that ascent again. That's a big moment for me. Yeah. You know, from the very beginning of creating this podcast, I I knew that it would be hard to have a history podcast based in the United States, knowing your reverence for history and not talk to you at some point. So thank you for doing this. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, no. I'm psyched to be involved. Definitely. All right. Before we start, I have a question for you. It, it might be an impossible question, but I'm going to force you to answer it. Okay. You recently issued a challenge to climbers to stop just using the green check mark for ascend and then moving on. Mm -hmm. And I'm someone whose life has been dramatically altered by climbing. So I, I definitely appreciate your stance on this. But if you had to reduce all of your sins to just a green check mark, except for one, which one would you choose and why? Wow. So. I mean, the way I interpret that question is, and the reason why I kind of wrote that hot take and challenged other climbers to do their best to refrain from just centering the grade as far as the experience of climbing goes, um, is because to me, it's like, I feel like a lot of the story, a lot of the reason why, it, it just felt like everything except for the athletic aspect of climbing was left out. If it's only yeah. just a grade. Yep. Um, and athleticism and challenging, challenging yourself physically is obviously a big piece of climbing, but I think that it's often too much of a focus. And for people like you and I that have, had our lives entirely changed by climbing and that have like almost lived like maybe several different lives within, you know, the confines yeah. of like what we would consider climbing or climbing community or culture. Yeah. I just feel like there's so much to offer and there's so many ways to challenge yourself beyond just like beyond just a grade. And, and there's so many ways, more importantly, I think, especially those that command a big audience to, um, share, the way their experience with climbing mm -hmm. and especially make themselves vulnerable because I think that that is oftentimes what's missing when the top line in every single Instagram post is just a green check mark and then the grade and the name <laughs> of the route. Yeah. It's like there's never vulnerability there because the only thing that's really communicated to other people is a success and B, it's almost like success is reported in a way that's so nonchalant that you would imagine that there was never even any work involved. It's just like, it's a, it's literally reported in a way that feels the same way that you would, you know, tell your significant other that you've achieved the grocery list that they gave to you. And I just feel <laughs> like there's, I just, it just feels like, like so deeply inauthentic to what I understand climbing to be. And, uh, I just feel like there's so much being left out. So that was a very long introduction to answering oh, your question. I love it. I but love it. I mean, if, if I had to, like, I think what you're getting at is like, what's the mo maybe the most meaningful experience yeah. that I've had in regards to one yeah. route. Um, man, I, that's a very difficult question to answer. And we had to start by putting you on the spot. 
I know, I know. Well, well, it's 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 good to even just consider this because it just further exemplifies the point that I'm trying to make in yeah. that there's so many lessons that I've taken from all these different experiences and you know some of them were ego inflating, some of them were ego deflating. Some of them weren't even necessarily le- necessarily lessons about climbing. It could have been a lesson about something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, probably like it'd be one of my first routes, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I had to pick something, it'd probably be one of my first routes. And and only because in the story of my life, you know, climbing has changed it more than anything else by far. It's changed my my community, my aspirations, my um work you know my 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 career path all these things so it would have to be something really early on and and i guess i'd have to give it a bunch of thought to be like what climb in particular that was but if it was just one story you know that would probably be it yeah i actually think that's a a perfect answer and it makes you the perfect person to have this conversation with because grades are this thing in climbing that it's really easy to get trapped into thinking are the most important part of it. Right. And the, the people mm-hmm. who've been doing it for a long time, who've put a lot of their life into it, understand that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, are they important? Sure. Are they the most important thing? Not by a long shot. So, mm-hmm. so I do think that makes you the the best person to talk to about this though. I do want to go on record as saying some days it's really hard to achieve the grocery list. So totally. We just have to keep that in mind. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know i think it's also important that i have aspired to do certain routes because like it's not bad to to want to climb a certain grade and totally, totally. and it, and you know we've all like we all started as beginners in climbing like no one started as an expert so there were there were moments in our climbing when just reading the headlines about like a 12d or you know whatever it is 14a or 15a or whatever felt so utterly impossible that sometimes achieving a number has a ton of meaning. Um, but yeah, I think that the whole, like the, the, in large part, the way that climbing is trending is so much about consumption and it's about content, like making content for people to consume quickly and easily without, with very little thought being put into what, you know, is communicated. And to be honest, like it's, it's both the responsibility of the consumer and also the producer. And in that sense, I mean, anyone that's making climbing content or media. Totally. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that like, there's nothing wrong with grades and there's nothing wrong with even having fun conversation about grades or, or even at times in your life being obsessed with grades. But I think that like, yeah, we're all losing a huge piece of the puzzle if if the if the whole entire pursuit of climbing is boiled down to like basically like beating a level on a video game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think most climbers never have to like uh, engage as intimately with the grades as the people who are doing first ascents and who are at the top of the sport and trying to push things forward and consolidate the grades that we already have. And, and you're one of those people. So 
the first thing I want to know here is like, what goes into considering grading something? What are the criteria? And I started thinking about this recently because Dave Graham made a post recently about grading, um, grading boulders in particular. And any Dave Graham post is going to make me think, you know, first off, does the post make sense at all? And second, what (laughs) are are we trying to learn from it? Um, Mm -hmm. But he just wasn't sure about this like accepted formula. And I think there's all sorts of problems with the formula, but the main thing is it's meant to like subvert what we feel about it. Mm -hmm. Instead of giving a grade based on feeling, there's this formula we're supposed to just go by. But I don't think that's even really possible. I don't think that can hold up. So I'm curious to know what criteria you're considering when you're grading something new. Um, well, let me begin by saying that I started in climbing feeling like I had, like I didn't understand anything about grades, right? Yeah. I think we all do. We're kind of like, oh, who knows? And then I think you like reach this, like there's a point in the arc where you've climbed a lot and you've done some stuff or whatever. And you start to feel like I really understand grades, you know, and like, I know. Yeah. And then you start to have this attitude of like, I know this is this and I know this isn't this. And then I almost feel like you crest the top of the <laughs> Absolutely. hill. And then all of a sudden it's like, I don't know fucking anything anymore about any grades. You know what I mean? And I yeah. feel like I'm solidly in that third camp. So um, <laughs> like you would think that the more places you go, the more different styles you climb, whatever, the more understanding you'd have. But actually, I think it's almost like kind of the opposite. So I think so. Let me start by saying that. <laughs> But I will say that um, I totally understand your interest in grading first ascents because I do think that it's really hard to do. And um, and I do think about a few different things when grading my roots. But ultimately, I've thrown out any idea that there can be an international, like, clear grade like basically no part of me imagines that there can be like a real tangible connection between the way Mm. that things are graded in area x y and z like right and i think that maybe because there's so few number of roots at the very high end like 9b and above maybe it's slightly easier but even still i just think that like there's no crag out there that has like four or five, nine Bs. I mean, maybe Flottinger, but that'd be it. And so like, how do you, that means that every crag is going to be in a different climate. It's going to be a different style, different texture, mm-hmm. different, like everything. Um, and so, yeah, I, what I'm getting at is that for me, when I grade a first ascent, I'm strictly looking at how it compares to other routes on the same cliff, ideally, but, furthermore at the same area and i think that that's the best thing that you can do because like we all know that like a 14a in the red and a 14a at the vrg and a 14a in margalev and a 14a in frankenura are all going to be like so different like yeah how on earth can you imagine to put the same like I see it's, it's almost like every single area should have a different grading system, but that would be like mm. totally like a total nightmare. So we're just going <laughs> to stick with the same one. And 
and do our absolute best to keep grades within a one area consistent. Like for me, I think that's the best we can do. Well, you're also someone who's developed crags. So if you're developing a whole new area, do you just base your grade on like what other areas are nearby? Yeah, I think, I think it's maybe a balance between something that's nearby. Like, I think that, you know, let's say by some miracle, you found a new cliff, uh, like, you know, adjacent to Smith Rock. Which kind of happened, actually, because there's guys <laughs> developing the marsupials now, and it's sick. It's basically yeah. like a new Smith Rock. But l- let's say it's something totally different. It's something nearby. Like, I think that you would, it would be kind of out of context for the area if you made those roots feel like, if those roots ended up being, like, really soft. Or or even if, like, the style of equip the equipment style was, like, you know, hyper overbolted or something like that, you know, like to trend too far away from something in close proximity. I think that would be kind of weird. But at the same time, I mean, imagine that you find a cliff adjacent to Smith Rock, but it's all like giant caves and you're like, it's a horizontal roof. Then I think that you maybe take into consideration the grades and the style and the kind of like culture of Smith Rock. But Ultimately, maybe what's best to think about a crag that you have a lot of experience at that is most similar to the place that you're equipping now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a slight tangent, but I, I do think that while we're on the topic, it's something that I, I want to mention. I think that there's quite a few root developers out there, and I completely understand why, because developing roots is so addicting. Like there have been times in my life when I was literally like, I don't even want to climb. All I want to do is bolt roots. Like if you're at a new cliff and the rock is like insane and you're just like, I don't even want to climb anymore. All I want to do is bolt roots and like chalk up holds and then like move on to the next one. But what I'm getting at is there's quite a few root developers that do very little climbing on roots other than their own roots and in Mm. areas other than the areas that they're equipping. And I think that this can lead to a lot of discrepancies in grading because mm-hmm. like, you know, the more information you have, the better of a uh, guess you're going to be able to make, I think. Yeah. That's an interesting, interesting take too, because there's also the, like the master of one area, you know, like say, and Adam Henry at Horsepins 40 just mm-hmm. mastered that style of climbing and, and totally. downgrading everything, you know, like the V6s yeah. are now V3s because they feel so easy to me. Um, and I think that can be a problem too when, when you're not traveling and, you know, recognizing grades in other areas and styles in other areas and you've only mastered this one style. Totally. And and I think that like I guess part of what I was alluding to before with regards to like you know you travel you go to all these places and then you kind of understand less and less and less. Yeah, I think that the, the I try generally speaking, like I and and you and you mentioned this at the top of the episode, but I, it is true that I seek out obscurities. I want to climb everything. And I love the experience of climbing things that are new or different to me. 
I love the vehicle for travel that climbing offers me. And, you know, if I was going to the same three zones over and over again, I don't know how much I'd love climbing. Like I love going to new, new places that pull me into different cultures of people and go to different places on earth and whatever, and whatever. And I think that like, you start to realize that there's just simply no way that all of these places on earth can align in the same grading system. Right. And so once you really kind of appreciate that, you appreciate the fact that one area can just be hard as shit. And that might just be like the way that that area is. And I don't necessarily believe that every single route there should be upgraded in the same way, you know, one area might be like super, super soft or, you know, it's perceived that way by some people or by most people. And I don't necessarily think that every single route there should be downgraded. Like, I think that like, if your goal is to be challenged and to go to new places and to climb on all kinds of different routes and all kinds of rock, then you know that it all comes out in the wash. Like there are going to be yeah. times when you put in double the effort on the 13A and times when, you know, 13C feels like totally piss. And we can make a huge fuss out of like adjusting every single grade to make it like everything perfectly even. Or you can kind of accept the fact that like, you know, I climbed really well at this area and this area totally kicked my ass, you know? And I think that like, as long as things aren't like several grades off, I think that that can kind of just be the, the, the way it is, you know, sometimes. Yeah. I love that you picked those two grades also to mention because I just a few days ago did a 13 C fourth try and a hundred yards away, I've got a 13 a that I've probably tried 15 times now and still haven't done. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, that's exactly in dude, we've all experienced that, especially yeah, someone totally. that has traveled a lot and, 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 you know, aspired to climb different things. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, in some ways it's just, it's almost good. Like, cause it brings yeah. us back down to earth. We, I think it's easy for us to feel like we're we've have total mastery of a certain grade or of a certain style or whatever but then like every now and then you know you have to just be thrown off a bit just enough to keep you like okay you know what actually i need to focus when i try this or man i need to work more on my footwork or like you know there's this thing i need to improve i mean it would be kind of a bummer if it was all like totally linear and it was just like so easy to understand everything and we and everything all the routes we ever tried and all the, all the boulder problems we ever tried were perfectly correlated to our expectations. Like, I think that that would be kind of boring. Yeah, I agree. You know, half the fun of climbing is having these kind of discussions. Um, yeah. Are you, are you a fan of personal grades? Um, I would say it's funny because I feel like in the same breath, I could say yes and no. I, well, my, my initial, my initial, <laughs> totally. My initial reaction is no, because coming back to what I was saying before, I feel like, like, you know, you travel enough and you just recognize that this style or this type of rock or this area or whatever yeah. totally kicks your ass and you just have to suck it up and it's okay. It's a great, like, you know, exercise and ego and, and patience. And then this style, you're like, Oh, I kick ass at this. I think, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of folks that would just then never 
aspire to go to one area or one style and just in, and right. use all of their energy to go to the other. Um, which is also fine. You know, it's just climbing. It's a recreation to a lot of people. So it's do whatever you want. But I think if you're, if you're after the challenge that it's important to do it all. So that's my initial reaction that no, that you should just kind of like take what, what it's, what it is and uh, know that sometimes it's going to be hard and sometimes it's going to be easy. And that's great metaphor for life. Yep. But then the second <laughs> side of that is that I am a really short climber yeah. and I'm, I'm just under five, six. And so um, there are times for me when it's just so incredibly blatantly obvious that my size affects the way that I'm able to climb a route. And yeah. You know, those are the times when, you know, you also want to kind of honor the amount of effort that you put into something and it just feels, I don't want to even say unfair because I don't think that's a good way to think about things. But I think that there are times when, you know, you can be honest with yourself, you can be level-headed, the ego can be completely subsided and you can still be like, I just can't be okay with this being called this. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, I think that, you know, Ultimately, hopefully there's not a lot of those experiences for, for people, but I do think that there are times when for you personally, it's just, it's just way off. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And for years I did the, I'm just going to take whatever the guidebook says approach until I did take that Katie Brown in the red. And I was like, you know what? I need more credit for this. <laughs> I ended up taking the 13B that it was originally given, but it hurt my soul yeah. to not take 13D, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's rad that you did that. And I think you'll be all right. You know what I mean? Yeah, like you totally. learn something from it and it's going to be okay. Yeah. When you're working on a first ascent and you come across one of those kind of moves where it's like, you know a taller person is going to have an easier time with this sequence. How do you go about that? How do you go about attaching that initial grade to it when the, the people making the repeats are going to find it easier? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And height is one aspect. And maybe another aspect would be like, and I think you want to get to this eventually. So I'll just get the cat out of the bag now. But I think knee bars is another aspect mm -hmm. of this kind of yeah. similar. Um, I, for the most part, choose to climb without knee pads unless I feel like I'm at an area or I'm on a route that's like, like if I'm in rifle, I'm not going to like, you know, climb right. Bagel's Club without <laughs> knee pads. Yeah. Um, although respect to, uh, Greg Kersner, because I believe he did do that. Or maybe he oh, folded wow. and used his pads in the end. But anyways, I, I, what I'm saying is that I think that there's a place and time for them. But I think that that place and time is slowly turning into every single route and every single time. And I just I just don't love to climb with them. I don't like like taping my, le my leg hair and like putting adhesive on my leg. And I don't like the way that they feel on my legs. And and um, I... I generally don't like climbing like hyper knee bar routes and overall um, there are times when I think knee barring is like amazing. Like, like for instance, on flex Luther, there's like a couple moves in particular that if you didn't have pads on the moves would be like utterly impossible. 
And they're not super techie knee bars. They just make kind of really cool creative movement. And and so I'm not immune to like totally enjoying it as well. But to go back to your question, there are times when like I'm doing a first ascent, for instance, and it's not like there's an obvious knee bar that I'm intent in, intentionally avoiding. Sure. But like the the way that people use knees now, especially in the last two or three, four years is like insanely technical. And, um, there are definitely times when I recognize that someone could come with an ambition to like epoxy rubber to their knees every single day and climb a route a little bit differently than I do. And, um, for me, you know, if I don't feel like doing that, then I just make that really clear in any reporting that I have about the route. And if further ascents come along and every other person wants to wear a pad and then it gets downgraded, I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. and, and I think get, basically what I'm getting at is that I do think that it's really important to be understanding of how future parties may climb your route, especially if it's like, you know, there's a freaking crack or a jug right there that you're just intentionally avoiding. You know, that's kind of like the most extreme case on one end. And then the most extreme case on the other end is, is, you know, climbing a route where you're constantly trying to understand how a taller or stronger or smaller or someone with smaller fingers or someone with, you know, rubber epoxy to every part of their body might climb the route. And to me, that gets just so annoying. And I think that in the end, it's better to just like be honest to the experience that you have. Try to find the absolute best beta that you possibly can, you know, including like my most recent hard first scent. I wore a knee pad and I have like a million times, you know, like I wear pads. I just don't, I feel like I wear pads when pads are, are obvious to use and I don't really take it to like the, 10,000th degree with, with using pads yet, but you know, I might, I might feel like I want to later in life or I'm forced to or whatever. Um, but yeah, basically I think that you should try your best to insulate from other people's experience. But if you go too far down that road, then I think it kind of takes a bit of the fun out of it, in my opinion. Like Mm. I I don't want to, I don't, I want to be thinking about the experience that I'm having, the energy that I'm putting into the route. And that journey of discovery that I'm having with the route and my like adventure on this piece of rock, right. I think that I kind of, you lose the plot a bit if you're always thinking about how might other people experience this thing. Like it starts to feel like you know a lot of the precious experience is 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 like dissolving because you're just like constantly like thinking about how it might be for somebody else, you know? Sure. Sure. Uh, knee pads actually and knee bars are the reason I eventually did break my, I'm just going to take the guidebook grade rule. And it was because mm-hmm. I was in Waco and I did a few things there with knee bars and was like, I can't in good conscience take the grades that everyone is taking for these things that were originally done with no knee bars. And now there's, you know, you can totally. rest four times on a knee bar. So 
So I broke my own rule that way. And, and I'm glad I did because I think you're right. It does, it changes the experience quite a bit. And, and maybe being just forthright about how you experienced it and why you're giving it that grade is the important part. A hundred percent. And like, I had a hot take that I put on the internet a couple of years ago now, maybe a year ago, two years ago, where I basically said that, especially if you're a professional climber and you use a knee pad on a route that was originally graded without knee pads, you should make this blatantly clear in any reporting that you do about your ascent. And actually, I got a lot of shit for that. And mm. I think that the way that people interpreted that because I do feel like there's some tension between people who really enjoy using knee bars and people who are sure. kind of fighting that. And I yeah. think that the way that that was, the way that that was um, interpreted by a lot of people was me shitting on using knee, knee bars or me shitting mm. on people that use pads. And yeah. that was not at all what I was saying. That's the way the internet works, Jonathan. Didn't you know That's that? That's the way I know. I know. If, you, if there's a way to be offended by it, um, but no, I, I think that it's really important. And I actually, what you said is exactly how I feel. I think that what's important is honesty, full stop, how you climb a route, what technology you use, as long as it's not ruining the rock or changing other people's experience in a really negative way, dude, climbing is a huge community it's a huge sport you should be able to do whatever you want like you know if if you want to climb the route and then like rest on the rope a couple times and then go to the top and then say i climbed this route and i rested on the rope two times i'm like dude yeah that's great like totally. you can climb however you want if you want a top rope 515 if you want to you know, not use the bolts and use gear instead or whatever, dude, like you should be able to do it all. I just think that we're in a, in a changing environment where again, the emphasis is so much about the grade and about that green check mark that there is opportunity, especially with this advancement in technology there's opportunity for people to like kind of bend the truth in a way that fits, you know, the narrative that they want. Yeah. Um, and bend and bend the way that they report or kind of leave out details about the things that they're reporting in a way that looks more favorable to them. And yeah, I mean, I get it. Like we, we, you know, it's there's a lot of pressure from both like the social media atmosphere and also potentially from like a sponsor or from like, you know, your, your crew or whatever it is to, to be something or do something or whatever. But I just think that man, like climbing is freaking hard. And like, no matter how you climb a route, it's probably really hard. And like, if the route was, you know, 13 a, but you use some knees and, and, and you did it as fast as normal, you do 12 C like 12 C is still hard, man. It's okay totally. to say that this feels like 12 C and I use some knees, but I'm still proud of what I did. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, and you know, there are times I'm sure in all of our lives when, um, 
it's difficult to be honest, but I think it's, I think it's super important for like the longevity of climbing and for integrity overall. Yeah, I agree with you. There's definitely been a trend that I've seen of, you know, as people get better at knee barring, they start to, not everybody, I'm not, I'm not generalizing here, but I've seen a few people then seek out the things where they think, oh, knee bars haven't been exploited here yet. So I can do this hard grade, but I can make it considerably easier by finding all these knee bars and I can still get my green check mark on this harder grade. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I have to say that I know that it's a skill and I'm not saying it's easy because I do think that especially the super high level knee barring is really difficult. And if I'm totally honest, I'm not super good at it, but I have climbed like a bunch of hard routes and rifle with knees and other places in the world with knees. Um, and so I'm not, I don't consider myself a knee bar novice. Um, but that being said, I, I do, I respect the type of people that put on the pads and they smash with the pads and they also go to a place like Seyus and they can smash when there's no pads. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like th- th- those are the people that I know for sure. Like generally I think they're going to have a more well-rounded understanding of, of, um, of difficulty and, and, you know, how far they really can push themselves and, and, um, and, and yeah, like the, the highest level of their own climbing for sure. Yeah. When I was just talking with Seb Buin the other day, um, I asked him who he thought had the best chance of repeating DNA. And he said that, uh, Jakob Schubert was trying it, but what Seb thought would be the key for Jakob doing it was to get better at the knee bar rest. Yeah. And I, I thought that was interesting. Like this is, this is a cool change of pace to, you know, modern climbs happening with the knee bars and it not being a, a secret thing to go and find the knee bars and then, you know, take the check mark. It's more like this is how it was done. And now it's a part of the skill here, you know, instead of this hidden yeah. shameful thing. <laughs> Totally. And I actually think that like in the case of roots, like DNA in a lot of ways, that's like the, in my mind, like the coolest way to use knees, because there's probably a lot of moves on that route that are impossible without knees, you know? And so it's like, it's not like taking something that already exists and changing its character to suit your strengths as far as like an existing route, it's like pushing the fucking limit of like, this is basically, I, w- I would guess that DNA is impossible without knees. Right. Cause I think he knee barred mm-hmm. like 60 times or something. So like, it's like something that's utterly impossible. And then using like the probably, it's probably Seb's the best knee bar climber in the world. Mm. I don't know. Right. Or one of them. Yeah. Certainly, certainly. like top five. So then you have like, you know, one of the strongest climbers in the world and then probably the best knee bar magician in the world, you know, using everything available to him to climb. Then what ends up becoming one of the hardest routes in the world. I'm like, that's crazy. You know, like Mm -hmm. to me, that's like, yeah, it's cool. And, and when I first heard that he had done that route, my thought was like, I'm sure it's hard as shit and I'm sure it's going to be a while until anybody else does it because somebody's going to need to, 
I mean, the, the climber that comes to mind is like Jorge because he's also really good with mm-hmm. knees and very strong. The only reason why maybe not is because like Seb told me point blank that like there's reaches on the route that I can't reach. And Jorge is also yeah. short, but he does have like a plus six. So it might be more feasible, but, um, but yeah, I think it's going to take somebody who's like, you know, or Adam, I mean, Adam's really good with knees too. So that, yep. that's like a good possibility. A uh, question that sort of combines two of the things we've been talking about. If you're in that phase on the curve of your climbing where you're sure you have grades figured out, like you can tell the difference between a hard 13A and an easy 13B and there's no question. If you're that yeah. person, are you allowed to give personal grades? Oh man. Should there be a should there be a break-in period? Like you don't get your personal grading card until you're on the <laughs> down slope and you're confused again. <laughs> but probably, but I mean again, you know, I I would say I would say like this is just the old salty version of me, but I'm like you have to climb these 10 routes that are 13A before you're allowed to say that I definitively know what 13A is and what it isn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. no, I, I think that, again, I don't I don't think that anyone in climbing should have the ability to say what people should and shouldn't do or can totally, and can't do. Totally. You know, like people can do whatever they want. <laughs> but but I just think that, um, I just think that like with all of this stuff, like it's all about, being willing to evolve like under like having that lifelong like student mentality you know um it's okay to know what you like and what you don't like and and you know to avoid certain things and 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 to trend towards other things i mean that's essentially what i've just said in that like you know i've climbed a lot of routes you know, I actually wouldn't even go that far. I think I, I think I'm personally, I think I really want to climb. I want to challenge myself. And I think that one of the ways that I challenge myself in the future and even currently is to climb routes with really difficult and technical knee bars. You know, there mm-hmm. hasn't been a route that I can think of where I was like, I'm not going to climb this because the knee bar, there's knee bars on it. Like that's never happened. Right. I've just been right. psyched to climb whatever. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to say to that person that's in the middle phase that feels like they have everything figured out. They're listening um, to this podcast and they're like, what do you, what do these guys mean? They don't know what grades are like. Yeah, yeah I know. Exactly. <laughs> I, well, I just think that, you know, um, yeah, it, it, climbing has so much, there's so much that we can learn from all these different experiences from these different routes, these different challenges that we put ourselves through. And, uh, I would just say, and you know, I, I guess even I could probably use this advice, um, that as soon as you feel like you have everything figured out, do everything you can to throw yourself into the type of experience that would erase that feeling. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and yeah, it's easier said than done, but certainly I do my best in my own climbing in the sense that like, you know, I, I love all the different styles. Um, and I, I can't stress enough how 
many times I've had to learn the hard way that I can only really be good at one thing at one time. And I just have to continuously like evolve to climb these things that I want to climb. And, and like, it's never enough to be like, to reach my potential in like, you know, one style of climbing or one type of climbing. Then it's like, I have to change to the next one and change to the next one and new area, new, new vibe, new challenge, new rock type, new climate, whatever it is. It's just always Mm -hmm. like an evolution. Yeah. This is totally a a bit of an aside, but just for the the folks out there who are listening and they think they know grades so well that they can always pinpoint it. Um, I had a, I was having a debate with a friend of mine a few years ago about grades and whether we actually know what they are and how good we are at, you know, giving the grades. And I said, okay, here's a measurement that you engage with every day, mileage. It's, it's objective. There's no subjectivity at all. There's no feeling a mile is a mile. So mm-hmm. when, when we're going out to these two boulders tomorrow, how far apart are these two boulders? They're on the same road, they're right off the road. How far apart are they? You've driven this 50 times in the last three months. And he was mm-hmm. like half a mile and we measured it and it was six miles. <laughs> oh my God. And I was yeah, like, crazy. I was like, you don't even know what the objective measurements are. How do you think you can tell me what the subjective ones are? Yeah. Just don't know, you know? Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> totally. Do you think personally that you're more accurate with grading something that you do quickly or something you project over a long period of time. Um, and I ask this because I'm always, I'm always curious when someone is adamant about a grade that they've onsighted mm. because I'm like, well, that's an easy time to miss something, you know, or certainly oh. if you onsighted it and thought it was easier, then maybe someone else missed something. But so I'm curious. I don't, I don't even the, know. Like, even that, like I feel totally. Well, I will say that I, I feel pretty strongly that like for a flash or an onsite, I rarely give my reflections about a grade ever because mm-hmm. I just think that it's such a different mindset. There's so many things totally. to miss. Like, you know, you're so adrenalized that you can kind of like, I'm sure that a lot of people have had this experience, right? Where you go for a flash or an onsite and like, you know, at the fourth bolt or whatever, there's like some little thing and you just kind of like, like try super hard and then you get through it. Cause yep. like, let's say it's a flash and you know, the crux is up higher and then you fall on the crux and you come back. And then your perception is that, Oh, I was just cruising until I got to the end. But then you go back to try the route the second time and you get to the fourth bolt and you're like, I can't even fucking do this move anymore. Yeah, what the hell did so I, I do, do here? Think, <laughs> I know. So I do, I do think that there's like a certain adrenaline and kind of like focus when you're on sighting or flashing that, and especially with dude, like with comp climbers, like they're honestly, like I've climbed with a lot of like comp climbers and they're legit better on their first try than they are on like their fourth try Uh, because they've been trained to have this like fierceness, like in their like explosiveness in their first try that they might lose some of that motivation knowing that it's not going to be the, flash or onside or whatever so i think that it can skew both ways i think that things can feel harder because you mess up the Mm. beta and it's like totally fucked you might not pick the perfect moment and you know maybe a a person with the wrong dimensions or wrong climbing style gave you the info or whatever it is but then i think there's also times when 
you can do it and it can feel like, you know, everything just clicked and you were like firing, but then actually like it, it's actually pretty hard and you just have the sensation that it was easy because you just like nailed it. Um, yeah. So I think for, for flashing and on sighting, I never try and get, I go full guidebook grade. Maybe, maybe, you know, I skew one way or the other. Um, but like, I guess I was thinking about it more as like, is it an epic project versus like right. something I do in a couple of days? And I know this is not the answer you're going for, but it's probably somewhere in the middle, right? Because I think that if something takes a really long time, you can be, you, no matter what, we have this impression that if it's taking you a really long time, then it's got to be really, really hard. But it might just be that you're not in the best shape for that route, or it might not suit you perfectly. Or you could try for a month with bad beta and then change things at the end and then it goes or whatever it is. Um, and then at the same time, I think that if you do something really quickly, you probably aren't seeing all the options that are there and um, you might not be considering everything and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, maybe it's somewhere in the middle when you have the most accuracy and it's like the short or the long missions are kind of less accurate. Could be. Well, that brings up another interesting question. Do you think it's better to give the grade like on the send or do you reflect for several days and say, okay, I think it was this grade. Like I've heard lots of people say I reflected for a long time before I gave the grade. For sure. Yeah. I like to think about it for at least a little bit, you know? And I think that as a first ascensionist, I will say that it's a definite thing that you bolt a root, you clean the root, like, and you've already got an idea of what you think totally. it's going to be in your head before you even climb on it. And then mm -hmm. maybe you climb on it. And I, basically, I think that we can have like the perception of how hard or how easy or however you want to put it that we have of what we think a root's supposed to be can really disguise what its actual grade is. It's like this mm -hmm. crazy like mental like internal mental thing. Like we can, you know, it can be like the king line at the crag and like maybe the crag doesn't have any five twelves yet. And you're like, Oh, this thing is for sure. 12 B like it's the king yeah. line. It's hard, you know, whatever. And then, you know, you can just be off because you just want it to be 12 B 12 A or 12 B or whatever. So badly. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think having more time to think about it and, and reflect on it, um, can be can be helpful and i think like like there was a period in time when i was doing a ton of root development near and around covid on this crag called 5g near las vegas mm -hmm. and this was really interesting experiment and experience for me in regards to grading first ascents because it was primarily me and Alex Honnold climbing together. And we're really good friends. We climb together all the time. He has a way different climbing style and dimensions than I do. Um, and he's also really like, I have to say, I could not respect anyone more when it comes to grading than Alex. Mm. He always skews down. He's very forthcoming with his use of knees and whether or not he believes that the grade for that route has changed like there are a lot of times when he's climbed 
what would be like epically hard routes really fast. And he'll be the first one to say, you know what? I don't think it can be X, Y, or Z because of these, this new tactic that I used that no one else had used in the previous times. And then there are also times when he's climbed really hard routes and he's been like, dude, I used a shit ton of knees and it still felt like this grade. Like, I don't think it changes it. Like, and, and see, the thing is, is he's in, he has, he's gained so much of my trust because I know he's being so honest every time that like, he could say anything. Like he could literally say, I think it's harder with knees. And I'd be like, dude, yeah, if that's what you say, I, I think you're right. Because it's just so clear that he's more after the challenge than he is after the grade. You know what I mean? Right. Right. But, but to get back to my story, so there, there, there were a lot of routes that I was climbing and bolting together with him. And then like, you know, it was like a one, two situation where I do the first ascent and then three days later, he do the second ascent that happened like probably like 20 times between routes, like five twelve all the way up to five fourteen, And it was really interesting because to have that kind of immediate feedback and to see someone with a totally different climbing style, a different eye, a different vision for like holds mm-hmm. and like movement and a different size to get immediate feedback. It, it was, it was pretty awesome. Like there were definitely mm-hmm. moments where my ego was hurt and definitely moments where I was in question because I felt like something felt not so bad, you know, and then he, he thought like it was like super hard or whatever. I would say it trended more towards the former than it did the latter. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, I really took a lot from that, um, experience and, um, like basically what I'm getting at is that that's awesome. If you're in an environment with other people where you can do a first ascent and you have like a trusted friend who can give you honest feedback and they can climb it right away, it kind of really helps dissolve any of that, like, you know, any of those attachments that we might have to like a certain grade or a certain like perception that we might have of how something could be. Yeah. I love that. That's like, that's like learning 101, you know, that's, that's how we want to learn anything and to engage in grading that way is really cool. That's a really unique opportunity. It was totally. And I, and I, I think, again, like coming back to what we've said a couple of times, the best that you can do to be like in that student mentality, you know, like, I think as soon as you feel like, you know, everything like that's when like the learning stops. Right. And that's like, that's a bummer for our climbing and for our lives and whatever. And so, um, whenever there's another person there that can give you feedback like that, just kind of immediately cracks that, that sense of like, your opinion is the only one that matters, you know, all of a sudden you're like, Oh, you know what? Actually they got good points about this thing or whatever. You, you said something in there that I've heard lots of people echo. I would certainly echo it. You know, even if we don't, even if we don't attach grades to our identity necessarily, we can still have our egos hurt when our grades are in question, you know, or totally. You know, I've talked to Adam Ondra, I've talked to Alex Magos, I've talked to Seb recently, and pretty much everybody is like, you feel a way when something you've put up gets downgraded, whether you like it or not, you know? Um, So I'm curious, why do you think downgrading feels so much like a personal attack? Well, I think that there's a way to communicate your feelings about the grade of a certain route 
with respect to the first ascensionists. Like, and I've seen it where it's very like downgrading in a way that's like, I understand why you would have thought this. Mm-hmm. And here are the reasons why I believe maybe something differently. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think that, of course, it's like the TMZ reaction for media and for people on internet to immediately just be like, oh, shit, big DG, like, oh, yeah. damn, you know, that whole yeah. thing. But I do think that there's a way to be like, look, this is the experience I had. And I also respect the experience that you have. Because mm-hmm. I, I let's let's also admit that like like great example like this route Bon Combat, um, that grade's kind of been everywhere. It's like this nine B. Actually, Chris said nine B slash plus at this crag north of Barcelona called Covado also. And then like Jakob Schubert came, did it super fast, and like I think at first he was saying that it was going to be like maybe even nine A or whatever. And mm-hmm. then people have come along and repeated and said no, it's for sure harder and blah blah blah. And, and anyways. I think that if only two people have done the route, then each person has like equal weight in the conversation at that point. You know what I mean? And so, and and also the first ascensionist didn't do anything like, like to hurt you. So like what, like why would you kind of like downgrade their route in a way that felt like ego-y or like boisterous? You know what I mean? Like, what is the point there? There's like, definitely, they probably didn't even know that you were going to climb on the route, you know, like they may have equipped the route 10 years ago and you're like, you know, someone that they didn't even know was going to come along. So that being said, I think that there's a way to, to be respectful and just express the feeling that you had with like whatever route, you know, and there's also a way to be an asshole about it. And I think we've probably all seen, um, examples of both. Yeah. When I was talking to Seb, I asked him about why he was so reticent to give DNA the the nine C nine C right fifteen B or fifteen D nine C is that right fifteen D yeah yeah nine C yeah um, I asked him why he was so reticent to give it that grade and I thought his answer was really great it was I was unsure of myself yeah it wasn't necessarily you know that he was worried about it being downgraded or something it was more i don't know exactly what i'm capable of i don't know you know how i was climbing at that moment so i have to mm-hmm. i have to weigh myself more than i have to weigh the rock climb like i know how difficult the rock climb is but i'm not sure about me right now and i think that's a really interesting way to look at it instead of just this rock climb is way easier than that person said it was you know, mm-hmm. it's more like my experience on it was that it felt easier than what I expected it to, but mm-hmm. I might also just be, you know, at the top of my game right now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think like it all arcs back to honesty because if you like Seb did with DNA, I don't know how many, what did he put in like a hundred days or something? Like it was yeah, insane. 150 days, I think. Yeah, that's thick. So I'm just imagining myself, you know, you bolt the route, you clean the route, you already have a certain level of investment and like sense of ownership over that route, right? Mm -hmm. That there's that relationship. And then the grade is kind of given in a way to reflect the amount of 
effort almost that's gone into it, you know, like the amount of not how valuable necessarily the root is, at least I don't think about it that way, but more like, you know, like how much time, blood, sweat and tears did it require for me to right, do this right. thing, you know? And I think that it's tempting to, you know, it's your own baby. So you like want it to be like, you know, valued and sick and whatever. So it's tempting to like give it the higher grade. And every first ascensionist has graded something that they kind of in their heart know is maybe easier, but they say a higher grade because they kind of yeah. want it to be that for whatever reason. And probably the other way around too, you know? Mm-hmm. And totally. I think that that's where we have a duty to be as honest as we possibly can. You know what I mean? And like, just be like, damn, I just want it to be 14A so bad. But if I'm honest with the amount of effort that I put into it and how it feels compared to X, Y, and Z, like I'm going to say 13D. And then at that point, if the root gets downgraded, then I think my reaction would be more like, oh, damn, really? Like I really genuinely thought it was this. Like I, I put effort into thinking about it and I really tried to be like representative of the way that I felt. And I was wrong. And I think that if you're really honest with yourself, I don't think that that's that hard to digest. I think it's probably harder if you feel like you're propping it up in some way and then it, and then it gets blown down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a, that's a really important part of it. You know, that once you're honest with yourself, you can be far more okay with criticism. Definitely. um, Because you feel pretty secure in what you thought at the time. You know, I I think that's a really great way to look at it. Yeah. You know, I love the, the like collaboration, the top climbers have right now in talking with each other and trying each other's roots and, you know, traveling to try the next hardest thing. Uh, I think it's really a beautiful thing that's happening right now. And my, in my research of this episode akira with fred ruling that was my my big wish is that the climbers of the time rather than just saying oh this grade is absurd and and basically laughing him out of climbing that people would have actually gone and tried it you know because even if it didn't turn out to be 15b even if seb's grade is correct uh, he gave it 14d then it was still the third 14 D in France and the first two were yeah. Fred's as well. So, yeah, you know, I think we missed an opportunity to really celebrate someone who was pushing levels because he got a grade wrong. And that's, that's a shame, I think. Totally. And I think it all comes back to like, if we overvalue just the grade of something yeah, and that's, where the conversation starts and ends then there's so much being missed right like mm-hmm. like in the case of that route it's like dude it was sick like yeah even if even if the route was like 14c it was still like groundbreaking by all measures you know yeah and and who knows like um you know i haven't spoken with fred about it but like you know, I don't know where his mind was at or like someone like Burnaby. I don't know where his mind was at when he was grading Chilambalam or, you know, there's other examples of that, but like, was it an ego thing? I mean, you know, there's an argument to be made that all grades are just ego things anyways, yeah. but, yeah. um, but 
at the same time, it's like, I, I think grades are important. I think that it's a, it's, it's an important aspect of climbing for sure. But I do think that like, there's just so much more to the story and I, yeah, as much as possible, I would love to see climbing like tend back towards kind of valuing the experience um, and the grade being like one aspect of that, but not, not being the kind of the beginning of the end of every conversation, you know, although yeah. it is fun to talk about and it's not, you know, again, like I said before, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with grades, but I think, I think the best way to think about grades is like, it's 1% of the climbing experience. Mm. It's not 70 or 80 or 99, you know? Yeah. Well, man, I love the way that you approach climbing. I always have. I love the thought you put into it and, you know, the value that you place on the stories and, and what goes into it beyond just what the grade is. And, you know, I think this, this mentorship that you and Shane are going to do with shared air is a really valuable thing for someone because of your approach to climbing. So before we go, can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, yeah. So my wife's name is Shana and she is a nutrition therapist. Um, she's also an excellent rock climber and a passionate rock climber. And then, you know, I've been climbing for, um, a little more than two decades and, and passionate about climbing and traveling and, and red pointing and, and fighting and failing and succeeding and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, and, and basically the two of us are teaming up together with this company called shared air and we're doing a, um, summer long, um, mentor program where we take in a couple dozen climbers and we do some zoom courses. We do some things in person and we basically just trying to give them like from the perspective of performance, like the whole package of like some insight into training, insight into movement, like red pointing tactics, strategy, and then on top of that, there's like this nutrition element, like almost like a nutrition coaching course too. So it's a pretty cool, like full package offering from Shared Air. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about it. I mean, it's going to be a new experience for both of us, but um, I think it'll be like really fun to meet some people that are passionate about their climbing and, and see what we can do to help them. Wow, what a what an opportunity for some people. That's a that's a really cool thing. I'll have links to that in the show notes. And man, I'm I'm looking forward to the next time we can do this off mic, you know, but I yeah. but I do appreciate you taking the time out of your trip to record with me so that everybody else gets to hear the insight too. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I hope that um I hope something is valuable to someone listening out there and uh and yeah, let's all just keep loving this pursuit of ours and, and, um, and enjoying one another's company. And we're going cool places with climbing. If we do that. All right. Written in stone is produced by me, Chris Hampton with help from Riley rush and Emily Holland for plug tone audio a group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. At the link in your show notes, you'll find all the things you expect, probably some you don't, including a bunch of videos of J-Star and how you can... Do people still call you J-Star? I need to know that real quick. 
<laughs> yeah, they do. They do, actually. All right, all right. No matter how hard I tried, the name has just stuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I still I still get O-Dub occasionally, so yeah. J-Star it is. Hell yeah, dude. And how you can connect with Shared Air. And look, the show is 100% rooted in the facts, but like Todd Skinner always said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> and seriously, if you love what you're hearing, give us those five stars and a glowing review. The algorithm loves it, which means more people find it, which means sponsors love it, and that means we can make a season two, and together we can tell the stories of climbing's most important ascents one decade at a time. Secret stoners. What is happening? Grades. That's what's happening. They're inescapable. They're they're simultaneously frustrating and interesting and necessary. And honestly, from a historical viewpoint, they're important. I mean... Does Action Direct make history if it's not the first 9A? You know, I don't think so. Um, some of the roots we can divorce from their grade a little bit. You know, something like uh, Lynn Hill doing the first free ascent of the nose and then the first free ascent of the nose in a day. But that gets done way earlier if it's not hard, Right. So, so grades are this really interesting thing. And I really appreciate Jonathan's outlook on grades. And it's no accident that he's climbed a lot of hard things because the grades are important to him, but he has a healthy relationship with them. And I think that that would help all of us to be able to do. Do I sound tired? I'm tired. Uh, I was up early this morning. I've recorded several interviews today, uh, none for this podcast, unfortunately, or I would tell you about those. But I did write on an episode today that is a doozy. Is doozy uh, telling my age here? I think it might be. Kids don't say doozy, do they? I can't imagine they do. I'm going to teach my daughter doozy so that we bring it back in like 15 years. Anyway, uh, I'm writing on an episode that is a doozy um, and, and examines a piece of what we do as climbers that I also think is really important, but maybe misunderstood. Um, I don't know. I haven't quite parsed it out yet. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. And if you're, if you're hearing this for the first time, you listen through the credits on accident and you're like, why should I trust you? You're just this weird guy talking at the end. Well, my friend, you have entered 
the clubhouse. This is the Secret Stoners Club. Um, every episode has one of these at the end, and we also have a club over at Patreon. It's free to join, though there are also $5 and $10 support options, and you can find that at patreon.com slash secretstonersclub. You can also click the link right there in your show notes. In there, just uh, yesterday, maybe today, I don't remember. Like I said, it's been a long day. I put uh, some photos of Fred Ruling's artwork, uh, and I think it's fascinating. I think it's really incredible how Fred takes these pieces from his life uh, and really infuses uh, what he feels about them into his artwork. It's really beautiful. Uh, I put a few of the pictures in the Patreon, but you should definitely go check out Fred on Instagram uh, to see more of that. The ones I have posted, though, are are very poignant as to uh, what we talked about in the Akira episode. One is specifically about Hugh. One is specifically about Akira and was made after Seb's repeat um, when Fred was a little... Um, he wasn't happy about the downgrade, uh, and he made a piece of art about that. And another, I think, just really speaks to the doing things outside of the box, um, so to speak. So go check those out. Really, that's all I have to say this time. However, next week, next Monday, uh, we've got a big episode coming, a, an episode that... Uh, I've talked to you about was tough for me because I have a lot of personal connections to it. Um, and I think I did it justice and making the music for it was really, really fun. And that episode is about the first grade seven, all free big wall climb in the world done by a team of cowboys. All right. I'll see you Monday.